Um, Our reading this morning is from the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, and then chapters 6, verses 22 through 25. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the lands on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the two men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above the earth and ab- heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by rope through the window. Chapter 6, verses 22 through 25. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned down the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in her house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad you could join us this morning. And uh, I actually told this couple I'm going to do this as well. We have another couple that's joining us I do want to bring attention to. It's not every day we have... Uh, missionaries joining us in person. Uh, there are letters, uh, missions letters out there that you could pick up at community engagement table. And if you picked it up, the November 2022 version would have told you that they're going to be here. 
So I actually kind of asked him to stand. I know I didn't ask him to do it, but Tim and Jenna and Benjamin is back there. Reeds are here joining us. Yes, let's give a round of applause. Uh, they're here from Brazil. I know, Brazil, right? And during the World Cup, they're away from World Cup in Brazil to joining us. I know there's a training that's going on, but the reason why I want them to stand up is to see them, stop them, talk to them, ask them lots of questions of why and what they're doing, and also take them out to eat and uh, to celebrate, to hear more. How do, you, how do we become more mission-minded? Uh, by listening and hearing the hearts of those who God has called to go out to the nations. So let's do that. Amen? All right, so let's bother them, right? Let's keep them busy all month long so they are well-fed. Amen? Amen? Amen, church. Um, we are continuing our sermon series in the Woman of Christmas where we're looking at four most often forgotten women in Jesus' genealogy to bring us to the hope that we have in Christ in this season. Again, as I shared last week, from the wise words of my brother, Pastor Mari, who said, we can't do full justice as men preaching to really explain what this woman are going through, but we will be faithful to the text and the context the scripture teaches us. So pray with us, wrestle in it with us, and talk about it with us. And today we turn our attention to Rahab. Rahab we find in Joshua chapter 2. One of the most well-known stories of the scripture probably that you have her growing up, even if you have not been around the church, is the fall of Jericho. Whether you have read through the Bible scripture and remember, oh, what a spectacular story this was, or a Sunday school lesson where Israelites march around the city and shout and the walls crumbling down, or if you're like me, if you remember the famous Jericho wall of watching worldwide wrestling growing up. You guys remember, is this, is this me? Y2J, Y2K, do you guys remember that? It's just, okay, just me, all right. Very familiar story of what it means to, the Jericho wall, basically he twisted them and then, all right, never mind, I will not go there. <laughs> basically had a wall and that's how they broke down. Anyway, that was really it for me. Um, by the time we get to Joshua, all right, don't, you don't have to look that up, uh, we see a big shift in leadership here. Moses, the great prophet who delivers the Israelites out of Egypt, with wonders and miracles, and not only so, leads the Israelites to the desert for 40 years, wilderness for 40 years, by providing food, water, and most of all, care and prayer, is now replaced with Joshua, his apprentice. And finally, Israelites are on the entrance, at the doorsteps of the promised land, Canaan, that God promised them. And the first city that they are to conquer is the city of Jericho, with his famous large walls that they're supposed to overcome. And what we read on in Joshua is that God sets the tone, doesn't he? He says, I will do this for you. And he makes the Israelites march around this uh, a gigantic wall, and merely they shout, and the walls come crumbling down, and they start this conquest of Canaan. And right before this story happens, we come to this short story of Rahab. Rahab, the prostitute, who seemingly plays a significant role in this conquering of Jericho. And we see Rahab coming to the forefront, not only in Joshua chapter 2, but she becomes part of Jesus' genealogy. 
and she's honored as one of the few women included in Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, writes, This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, the descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar that we saw last week. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nishon. Nishon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So why is Rahab included? Why this woman, a Gentile, meaning an outsider, who's not in the promised people group of Jews, this Canaanite, the people to be conquered, the woman of the enemy city, Jericho. Not only so, a prostitute is included in Christ's story. The question is, how does she bring us Christmas hope this morning? Well, let's journey together in her story, shall we? You see, Rahab points us to Christ and the hope that you and I could have in this season. And we find that through two identities that are often associated with Rahab. First of their identity is Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute. Today's story begins with Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, sending two spies to check out the land they're about to conquer. We don't know why he does this. Some commentators say, well, he's lacking faith because God already gave this land to him. He just has to go in, but he wants to check it out for himself. Some actually would say he's actually being a great leader checking out the land before they're going in, reminiscing of the spies that were sent out by Moses before. We don't know exactly the reason why, but the spies are sent out in Joshua chapter 2, and this is what we find out. Joshua sent out two spies to scout out the land on the other side of Jordan. We've been picking up in verse 1, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there that night. The story tells us that two spies who were sent out to scout the land settled at the house of a prostitute and stayed there that night. One may wonder, why are the spies, God's people, settling in the house of a prostitute? After all, they're the people of God, aren't they? Well, one may think the spies were there seeking services for themselves, but we're not told that there's any sexual activity going on here. Where a more plausible and possible explanation is that the house of prostitute was probably a good place for you to hide because a lot of travelers came and went in this place. It would not raise any suspicion of why they're there. Furthermore, we're told in verse 15 that Rahab's house was built into the wall. So it's easy for them to get away, especially if there's a trouble that looms large. More importantly than that, it is the meeting of Rahab, the prostitute, that God was orchestrating throughout this story. And what we're told is that it is Rahab, the prostitute, who meets the spies. Rahab, the prostitute, is the identity of Rahab that we're first introduced to. And not only we're introduced to Rahab, the prostitute, but throughout the scripture, time and time again, whenever Rahab is introduced, her title, as it seems, her identity, a prostitute is always mentioned. That happens two other times in the New Testament where Rahab is mentioned. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it says, It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
James writes in chapter 225, Rahab, not the mother of faith, not the mother of Boaz, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away to a different road. So it's pretty clear today. We know not only from the story that you and I just read, but also from the Bible, the writers emphasize Rahab's identity, that she is a prostitute. Not only in a negative sense that prostitution often brings to the readers, but rather in a positive sense, doesn't it? Here's Rahab the prostitute who is a great woman of faith. Here's a prostitute who is done right with her faith. Well, why is that the case? Why is her identity as a prostitute so important to this entire story? In order to understand that, we have to ask, who are the prostitutes in the Scripture to begin with? Who are the prostitutes? According to Phyllis Bird, an Old Testament theologian, a prostitute is a woman who oftentimes women, and most of the time, as I see in exclusive in the Scripture, they're pointing to women, women who offers sexual favors for pay. In the Hebrew Bible, she is normally designated as a single term, zona, which is used as substantively, meaning related to being, or attributively, meaning related to, uh, related to being. Either meaning to being or related to being is how this prostitute term is used. Her social status is that of an outcast, though not an outlaw, tolerated, but dishonored member of the society. She normally has a legal status of a free citizen, where she's a slave oftentimes, or is otherwise legally dependent on the state for what she provides, her services. She's typically contrasted to the quote-unquote normal woman of the time, generally the married woman, from whom she is separated spatially and symbolically through distinctive dress and habitat. The places and times of her activity maintains the distance between her and the married woman. It's like you stay here, the married woman who are esteemed stay here. She's the woman of the night, as we say, who appears on the streets when honorable women are secluded at home. She lives in the shadows of the wall on the outskirts of the city, often abused by the system, abused by men who would not want the same fate for their daughters and their wives and their mothers, but nonetheless, want her for their sexual desires. This other woman were tolerated, but stigmatized, desired, but ostracized, often neglected. The woman in history turned to this profession not out of choice, oftentimes out of desperation, especially in a society where women's voice and status is not valued highly. And may I add, not always, but quite often the reality is that's what we find in the 21st century too, don't we? Do we not find that in our cities? In the back alleyways, we find women abused, ostracized, but often accepted as part of a society. And Rahab fits that bill perfectly. She's addressed by the king and not inquired of because of her work, but rather because of the potential whereabouts of the spies who would have, in king's mind, used them like any other people would have used them, tolerated. 
And that's whom the spies meet, Rahab, the prostitute. And generally, based on this line of reasoning, any reader or listener would expect Rahab to give up the spies, right? Why not? After all, she's marginalized. She's pushed out, so she doesn't even have a right. So for her well-being, more powerful person comes to her in power dynamics. She's powerless. Her position is described in the narrative. But Rahab, the prostitute, against this king's wishes and will, against potentially being charged for treason and immediate death, where her life would have been easily discarded, helps the spies instead. Verse 4, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. So this leads to logical question number two. Despite her status and situation, the question is, why does she help? Why does a prostitute of an enemy nation betray her people? Regardless of how ostracized she may be, this is her people and the town that she lived in. No matter whether she doesn't find a place in the society, it is not like Israel, a people group, offered a better life for her, right? There were prostitutes in Israel as well. So why does she, let alone a Gentile, an outsider, help an invading nation? Why does she help an invading, conquering nation? With that, we turn to verse 8. Verse 8 says, Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt, and we know that you did to Shihon and Og, the two Amorites, kings of the east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, your God, is supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. You see, Rahab tells spies that she has heard the stories of God of Israel, probably the stories the travelers who came to use her services told her. And time again and again in her position, she has access to hear all the stories, right? Numerous stories of the travelers who come from Egypt and beyond of this mighty God who has crumbled the superpower nations at the time. Talk about the gossip. That will be a front-page news, right? And what we see here is Rahab, Rahab finds God, Yahweh, God of Israel, whom has done this mighty work. And she recognizes that God is the supreme God of the heavens, above and earth below. She hears, not only hears this good news of God who does this mighty work, but she testifies that indeed this is truly the God of heavens above and earth below. What she finds, church, is hope in God of Israel and not in Israelized people. She finds hope in God who moves the Israel nation, not in this conquering people group that is coming to take their place. She places faith in God who parts the Red Sea, who brings the Israelites out of Egypt with his outstretched arm. That's whom she places hope. And question again is, how does that relate to her, an outsider, a Gentile, Canaanite, woman, a prostitute? Well, that's what we are led to this morning, are we not? Remember who God of Israel was, right? 
For Rahab, this God of Israel is not God who merely is always with powerful and the mighty. This God of Israel, church, Yahweh chose this wandering, powerless, abused slave nation. And this God of Israel, Yahweh brought out and delivered this abused, ostracized, powerless people. This God not only defeated the superpowers, but also against the enemies that stand against the nation throughout the journey, this God stood with those who are on the outskirts, those who cannot help themselves, those who are like the prostitutes, often going astray from the Lord. Here is God of hope, God who sees the downtrodden, God who does not turn his face away in anger, but rather comes again and again in grace to those who are desperately in need of this God's rescue. And here Rahab, seeing who she is, the prostitute, and seeing who God is, desperately clings to this hope of God of the universe, God who has power to save, God who could see her, God who could rescue her, God who has power to overcome Jericho, God who has power to flip the society upside down, God who has power to deliver people like her. And this is the ultimate hope of Christmas that Rahab shows us this morning. God came to us. Even for those who feel like they're so far away from the Lord, if you ever feel like and think that God cannot save you, read this story. If you ever think that God cannot love you or you have done things so bad that God will not ever turn towards you, read the story of Rahab. Here, Rahab says, God is able. This is God of Christmas. This is God who sees me. This is God who sees the downtrodden. This is God who identifies and comes to those whom he wants to rescue. Some of us may think, wait, 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 pastor, 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 I get that, but I'm not a prostitute, right? I'm different, right? By all means, Scripture is against the prostitution, right? It warns against sexual immorality that results from that act. We're told to flee from that. So you may think, well, well, I am not a prostitute, so this doesn't apply to me, does it? Well, if you read the Scripture, um, oftentimes the Bible likens to have prostitute identity. Do you know that? Mainly in how, how often we whore, excuse my language, but this is biblical language, right? Whore after the idols. And how often we turn away from our true bridegroom, Christ. There is even a whole prophetic book called Hosea that says, hey, here's Hosea. That's like you, right? It's you. It's all about you. This is what it says, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel, to Hosea, he said to them, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel have acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So in Rahab church, the scripture reminds us that we are also like her in many ways than not. This may offend you, but this is what the scripture offends us with, isn't it? that we often behave as a spiritual prostitute, chasing after the idols, after idols, after idols, chasing after worldly pleasures and hopes of the world rather than one true God of the heavens above and earth below. But again, here is how we find and hear the gospel hope this morning in Rahab. We find God of the universe who chases after those who are hurting, those who are prostituting themselves to the idols. And what Rahab reminds us is that good news of the gospel is for you. 
for me. For those who wonder if God can still love the prostitutes like us. And if God can tolerate, not only tolerate, let alone love us, don't you have hope in that? God of Israel, church, is God of Rahab. And the Christmas story tells us through Rahab, the prostitute, that he is our God who loves us, who loves us, who does not put us in the city walls, who ushers us into our, just merely tolerates us. Rather, the scripture tells us he loves us, adopts us to his place, prepares the room for us in heavenly places, and invites us to the banqueting table. That's the type of God that you and I have. That is the hope Rahab, the prostitute, is pointing towards. Challenge for us, church. Will you turn to him? Oh, bride of Christ, will you remember to be the bride of Christ, to sit at the table? He's ever so beckoning for you to come, to listen, to look at the hope of Christmas, not just merely look at who you are and the circumstances around it. May not the distractions of this season ever let you forget that you are loved by the Lord. This season declares from the heavens above and earth below that he alone is God who loves and who is able to come to you. That's what Rahab shows us this morning. And not only is Rahab known as the prostitute, but when this Rahab, the prostitute, encounters this God, she's not only called the prostitute, but Rahab is called now the woman of faith. The woman of faith. And that's the second identity we come to this morning. Rahab, the woman of faith. When we come to verse 12, the story tells us Rahab risked her life for the spies, and she asked for kindness. Um, some of you really like this, because this is a famous Hebrew word like hesed, loving kindness. He says, show me hesed, loving kindness, for my hesed, loving kindness. That's what she says here in verse 12. Now, swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me. That's the word there, hesed. My family, since I have helped you, give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live, along with my father and mother, my brothers, sister, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The man agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind, hesed, to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by the rope through the window. And then, as you know, she ties this red scarlet cord around the window, and she is rescued, right? By the help of Rahab, the spies returned safely back to Israel. And we know the rest of the story. Joshua, with assurance, crosses the Jordan River, reminiscent of the Red Sea parting. And not only so, um, they circumcise right before the battle, right? God makes them powerless, before the battle. Isn't that amazing how God works like that? And by God's guidance, they march around the wall of Jericho to see the walls crumble at God's miraculous work. And after they conquering, Joshua remembers the promise. Loving kindness, Hesed, is returned to Rahab. Chapter 6, verse 22. Meanwhile, Joshua said to two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her whole family. And then verse 25 says, so Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives, who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lived, lives among the Israelites to this day. 
And the Rahab story is not only told here, again, as we said, throughout the genealogy, but also in the New Testament, in Hebrews and James, in describing how a faithful person lives, Rahab is used as a, as a woman of faith who demonstrates what it means to be a woman of faith. We're told that Rahab is not only a prostitute, but woman of faith. In Hebrews, she's described in line with impressive faith fathers, along with Abraham, the father of faith of Israel, Rahab is mentioned. James, in speaking of not only faith, but faith that is provided, proven through actions, Rahab's example is given. Here's a woman of faith who not only declares who God is, but shows it through her action. But notice this. Rahab shows hesed to the spies and wants hesed in return. But in fact, God did not need Rahab. If you take chapter 2 out of this story, does it change anything else about Joshua? Absolutely not, right? It's not like Rahab's insight helped Israelites conquer this land, right? It's not like Rahab told them, hey, let me open this door so you could come and conquer. It's not like Troy, right? Let me, let me make this thing for you so I am able to do this, so pay me back for what I've done. In fact, nothing that she told her is of use at this point, doesn't she? Imagine an army coming to the other side, crosses the river, exposing yourself in the giant plains and being circumcised, meaning the able men who are able to fight is just sitting there, sitting ducks, right, waiting for Jericho to come up. Imagine if Jericho were like, okay, wow, they're just sitting there. Let's go kill them. Could have done that easily, right? It's not like Rahab's insight about the wall, how it's constructed and all this stuff is the way that God works to save, right? What happens is God tells Israelites to march around this wall, around and around, and merely scream at it. And the walls come closing down. So it's not it's not that she received hesed for hesed. It's not that she worked for this deliverance. You see that? It's not tip for tat. It's not like, I'll do this for you, do this for me. Well, as if God says, no, that's not how gospel works. This is not how God of the universe works. And God says, let me show you. It's not hesed for hesed. It's hesed from God only. And all you have to do is receive it. And this is what God chooses to do to do to Rahab, basically says, I'm going to conquer this land and you will see it. You will see the walls that you're living in crumbling down. So God does not tell Rahab, you are righteous by faith because you have earned it, rather because you have placed your faith in the Lord. God sees Rahab's faith. Therefore, she's deemed righteous. She's deemed woman of faith in the hall of faith of Hebrews and a faith that works itself out in James. This story also reminds us of another story of faithful woman in the New Testament, doesn't it? Especially the woman of the Gentile origin, an outsider in Matthew chapter 15, where it says, Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. 
And Jesus said to the woman, I, have sent, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fell beneath the master's table. And she replies, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. What we're told is not that. What she has done earned her favor with the Lord. What we're told is her seeking, her desire, her faith in the Savior. The scraps was enough faith was what Jesus says, your faith is great. And church, this great woman of faith is reminding for us what's true in Christmas. Not only Rahab, but this Gentile nameless woman in the New Testament reminds us we ought to follow in their footsteps in this season. We do not need to display this amazing resolve to say, I have given so much of myself, I've given so much of my possessions, I've done so much for the Lord, therefore, Lord, give me hesed for your hesed. But rather, what Christmas reminds us is while we were still sinners, he showed hesed for us. While we were still prostituting ourselves away from the Lord, Scripture tells us he has shown hesed and sends his Savior to die on the cross for those who rather choose to walk away from the Lord so that the promise hesed could be written on the people he chooses to love. Rahab and this Gentile woman point us to that kind of Christmas this, this morning. And the reminder for us as well, in this season where we often give gifts based upon gifts, right? Oh, no, I got this Christmas card. I better get this Christmas card sent out tomorrow. Well, that person was not on my good list, but, okay, I got to move it to away from the naughty list to the good list, Right? The season where we often think about paying back for somebody's kindness, but we're reminded, church, the gospel way, gospel truth, what Rahab and this Gentile woman shows us is God's kindness doesn't work like that. God's hesed works one way. And what we could do is in response, show hesed to others and to the Lord. And you see this happening. Her faith ignites others. Do you notice that? Ignites the hope of Israelites in Joshua. The Jericho is ready to be taken. Her actions result not only in her survival, for all those who are gathered in their household. Furthermore, we're told that she not only lives among Israelites, but she mothers Boaz. Remember Boaz, the kindred redeemer of Ruth? Imagine the stories Boaz is listening to growing up and meets Ruth, a Moabite, a Gentile. Do you think something had to do with that, perhaps? We don't know, but surely preparing the way for another woman of faith to enter in. Her faith in the Lord ignites and prepares Boaz to Ruth, David, and to Christ. What a story. What a legacy of faith we're told in this season of Christmas. You know, in studying Rahab at how she adopts and receives the message of God of Israel as an outsider, 
as a Gentile who identifies with God, who sees and dignifies those who are on the margins, I came across the story of another giant woman of faith that we often don't talk about in the church today. Her name is Rebecca Broughton. You can show the picture as well. Dante Storr, the author of Shouting in the Fire, writes, um, Emerson and Sandler, Sandler were sharing in their book, Genesis of Liberation, they say, African Americans' respect for the authority of Christian scriptures is a miracle in itself. And she writes about how Christ's introduction to African slaves was a miracle. Because oftentimes, the Christ that was presented to the slaves were used and justified by slave owners to abuse them, often used, oppressing them. Indeed, he was the white man's Jesus after all. In spite of this introduction, they write, many African Americans, through, though not all, became Christians and attributed authority of the Bible. The question that remains, why? Why would they do this? When Bible is used to justify brutal transatlantic slave trade, they write, they fell in love with God of Scripture. In Christ, they found salvation from their sins and reconciliation. They concluded that though this was certainly not enough, uh, this certainly was enough, there was more to the answer. They write, in this text, they found not just an outwardly God offering spiritual blessings, but a here and now God who cared principally for the oppressed, acting historically and eschatologically to deliver the downtrodden from their abusers. They also found Jesus a suffering Savior whose life and struggles parallel their own struggles. You see, what they found was not only the liberating power of God of the Scripture, but the liberating emphasis of Scripture itself. Because they learned that the Bible did not denigrate African identity. Rather, they were able to use it to ground their humanity, to rebut biblically-based supremacist readings, to validate their rights to free and function as equals in this nation. And among them was African slave named Rebecca Proton, aptly called the mother of the Black Reformation. We always talk about Reformation of 1500. There was a great Reformation that happened in 1700 called the Black Reformation. The process began long before the birth of one of the earliest African Protestant churches found pivotal momentum in seemingly unlikely place. The rugged rose to the hills of St. Thomas, a Danish sugar colony in the West Indies known as enslaved as the Path. Though kept from the popular nightly meetings due to violent animosity, black men and women were pressed their way along the rugged roads to hear the gospel from the unlikely missionary, a brave young woman. She would not just be a mother of the modern mission, but also the mother of the Black Reformation and birth of Black Protestant Church. Her name was Rebecca Proton. And through her conversion, through her testimony, through her relentless hope in God who saw African slaves' humanity, 
suffering servant who came for the hope began a reformation movement that rivaled the European Reformation in 1500s. Church, here is a woman of faith often forgotten who encounters the true God of Scripture not as an enslaving false ideals of slave owners, but true God who loves, who affirms who she is, who rescues her, transforms, and through her faith in this Savior, spurs on a modern black Protestant church and reformation. What a legacy of faith you and I are part of. God of Rebecca Proton, God of Rahab, God of this nameless Gentile woman, God came to this woman, saw them, revealed who he is, God who loves, who loves especially for those who need this hope desperately, he is at the center of this Christmas season. And all this woman are the crowd of witnesses that testify he alone is God above and in the earth below. Church, will you see him? Will you worship him? Will you lay down your life at the foot of the cross? Let's pray. Church, pray with me. Following the footsteps of our sisters, our mothers of faith, let's pray to the Lord, shall we? Give us that faith. Faith that will say the crumbs that fall, these precious moments that I could pray, just a little bit of grace of the Lord, not by my might, but by grace of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer in this season of awaiting for us, awaiting our Savior, also awaiting our senior pastor, awaiting for many of us in the seasons that may be difficult for many of us where we don't know where the next meal is coming from or where next hope is coming from. Father, just as Rahab placed her hope in the Savior that came who saw her, just as this Gentile woman begged and fell at the foot of Christ, just as Rebecca Proton, who saw Christ in the midst of darkness, teach us that kind of faith this season as they point us to Christ, our ultimate Savior, God of the heavens above and earth below, may we testify to that until the coming of Christ. Christ, let me pray. Amen.